Photography can mean a lot of different things today. Is it more ephemeral and about capturing the trivial parts of life? Is it about sharing something more artful and considered? Is it about documenting and providing memories that will certainly outlive us? You could say that most of the photography we experience today is largely forgettable and disposable. Random selfies and product placements dominate much of our feeds. For photographer Brian Kelly, his initial start in professional photography focused more on the world of streetwear and skateboarding. However, it was the process of still life photography that pulled him into a unique genre that flies in the face of what's expected in modern times. A stubborn approach to his art form led him down a path of excruciating detail and great complexity. Going the long and difficult route are things he's considered important to the identity of his work. This identity, coupled with several inspirations from famous American historians, influenced his concept behind gathering growth. Gathering Growth is a project and documentation that highlights massive and critically important trees within North America's ecosystem. These trees can span several hundred feet tall. Their time on this planet can be anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand years old. Brian looked to some iconic American documentarians for inspiration including author, philosopher, scientist, and environmentalist Aldo Leopold, as well as the at times controversial Native American photographer Edward S. Curtis. Having seen the work and then speaking to Brian, what we found admirable was how he looked to document the present for the sake of the future. Nobody would ever question the idea that photography can have a huge impact in positive ways. Sometimes we lose sight of this in the face of social media marketing. It's projects like Brian's that bring together true purpose and meaning with beautiful photography. We pick up with Brian at his studio in New York as he explained the catalyst behind gathering growth and the importance of his project. Maybe we can start things off um, and maybe you can give me a little bit of background for those that aren't familiar with your work, like what you do and I guess how you kind of stumbled into photography. Moved to New York City, 2006 and went to school. And while I was in school, I was all like in skateboard photography. And then slowly towards the end of school, I started getting into still life photography. And since then, that's been the major focus within my photography is still life work, but I still get to do lifestyle or sports action here and there whenever the opportunity comes. At what point do you think you kind of had this switch where you were like going from the skate world to like still life? Getting out of school and having student loans. So probably 2011. <laughs> so it's kind of like the reality of, of knowing that skate wasn't necessarily going to pay the bills. Yeah. I mean, not skate fully. Cause then like, you know, right after then I had the opportunity to work with Huff. Um, and I worked with Huff for, for almost six and a half, seven years. And that really was like the first time I had the opportunity to still be within the skate world and like shoot skateboarding, but also be able to do like conceptual still life photography for them as well as the lookbooks. How would you define sort of still life photography? And like, what what do you think people expect it to be? And what do you think is the reality or how do you perceive still life photography to be? Like, do you have your own spin on it in a way? I feel like the, the cliche would be just like product shots, you know, like what you might see on like e-com. Um, you go to any major like website and it's just like, Ooh, t-shirt on white background, this shoe on white background, which for the majority, it, that is like the mainstream still life. But I think what I try to do is 
take what's interesting to myself and then make that into like my still life work as far as um, basically just trying to make things for myself though, not easy. Like for me, still life is an opportunity to make things as, as complicated as possible. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people won't do that because yeah. they they want to just like everybody looks at something as like a job so like you get the job you want to get it done whereas like with still life you have the opportunity to like there's no rush as far as like you don't have a model that's going to be impatient you know you have the opportunity to like take your time what is it within you that wants to do things in a really complex manner you know in a time and place when a lot of people are kind of looking for shortcuts like what is it within you that is like seeking that complexity that's kind of an interesting thing for me is like, you know, in this day and age, like a lot of people just kind of want an easy route or in general, not even in this day and age, just in general, like want the easy way out. It's pretty interesting just because I think like with, yeah, like exactly what you said in today's world, it's just like, how fast can I turn something around? You know, whereas like if you and everything just like if, if, if every single photographer follows that idea, then everything just becomes homogenized. Where everything just starts looking the same, you know, like you shoot uh, a pair of shoes this way and that becomes the standard. It's like, you know, it's like whatever brand's popular, the rest follows. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just go the opposite way, you might actually have a little bit um, better chance of not, not so much like being noticed or any of that, but just like separating yourself as you know, photographer, still life photographer like myself. But yeah, I think uh, to get back on track on that, I think the most valuable thing that anyone has is time. So if you can put time into your work, you're instantly going to be able to separate yourself from the rest of every, like everyone else. Yeah, that's a good um, answer. So yeah, go, go, going back to like, yeah, let's make it as complicated as possible because if I do that, no one else would be able to like, or even really want to put that type of effort into something. Yeah. Can you know, cause no one, no one, no one, everybody wants to be able to turn things out really, really yeah. fast. So like if you can put time in and then you'll get, you'll get a little better quality of work. For people that aren't really familiar with your work, what would be an example of you just doing things in a complex manner or an example where you would seek, you know, a more complex route? Three pretty good examples of that. Um, one might just be, uh, my archival work that I do. So I do a lot of long-term arch archival projects. And the one that I've been working on the longest is the NYCTA project, which is collecting New York City transit ephemera. And just this last fall, I was lucky enough to have like a book published on that. And um, basically it's six years in the making of just collecting and slowly photographing these pieces. And if you had asked me, five, six years ago, if I was still going to be doing this, I probably would have said no, but it's just kind of been this project that's been awesome to see grow over time. And then same can go for some of my other still life work where like I have like these assemblage pieces of, you know, you could call it food organized neatly, but there's certain ones that have taken me like four days of just like sitting over it and moving food in like a really meticulous <laughs> manner. And you know, I think that's like somebody could be like, oh, like that's like lame or like that's like, why would you waste your time? But you don't really see anybody else doing it. So you've already separated yourself yeah. from the like the herd on that. Yeah. So with this project, Gathering Growth, 
how would you describe and how did it sort of like enter the mix? Like when did you start pursuing this project? So with Gathering Growth, probably two years ago now, just over two years, um, I got a car and drove cross country with one of my best friends and we got up into the Pacific Northwest and growing up on the East Coast, I had never seen growth forests as large as the ones out in Washington, Oregon, Northern California. And it just started like, you know, anytime you go anywhere new, you, you got, you have questions like, okay, like, why is this the way it is? How long has this been here? Why is it like this? And then also comparing it to the East Coast, part of like my obsessive personality of like these types of projects took over. And then it was just this like rabbit hole of finding information, reading books, learning about these environmental nonprofits that I work with now, and just really educating myself on the environment. Do you remember the first time you sort of like witnessed this in the flesh and like the kind of feeling you had seeing seeing these, um, I guess, how would you describe them? Do you call them trees or you call them, you have your own sort of definition? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's like, I think it's just um, old growth forests. Um, I think for me, really, really the first time it hit was the first time I went to Vancouver Island and that was just incredible because you have this small little pocket left in the world that's just like untouched to some degree. It's, it's definitely, it's like had heavy logging and all this kind of stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, an old growth forest is unlike anything you've ever seen. And if you have seen one, you like get it where it's like you're in the presence of a tree that's at least 500 plus years, which when you compare it to your own, that's a really long time. When you saw them, it was it just the natural inclination to just start documenting them? Or like, was it just like, hey, this is cool. Let me take one photo. And then as you started seeing it more frequently or more regularly, that's when it started to develop into a body of work. Again, it goes back to my long-term projects where I saw this opportunity where like going up to Vancouver Island or even the North or the Pacific Northwest where like logging had totally wiped out all but like these little pockets left all over the country. And also with like current state of global warming and like our government and all that, I just saw it as like, okay, like these trees might not be here soon. Like all these things could just like start to be wiped out. And wouldn't it be really shitty if there was no proof of that? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what like sparked the idea of like, okay, like how can I, same way I do my archive projects, how can I archive these trees mm-hmm. to like represent their legacies to be proof that these massive giants once existed because if you look at like you know everyone's like oh like the redwoods the redwoods are the biggest all these things in which they are but there's so many other species that are giants but there's just so few of them that they don't get the type of recognition after that then i then i heard about the term champion tree which was developed by the environmental nonprofit American Forest. And the champion tree is crowned the largest of its species. So it could be the champion apple tree, the champion maple, champion redwood, doesn't matter. It's just basically within their registry, there's 795 champion trees within the continental US. So I thought, here's the opportunity 
for the project. Like, I want to spend my time, a good portion of my life, photographing the largest species in the U.S. Given the immense scale of these, do you have to shoot them differently? Like, what's your process like? Every tree is different. And, you know, it's kind of funny. That's probably the first time I've said that. Where, like, I mean, a tree is a tree, but it's, yeah. You can go into a forest where it could be a tree that's 24 feet in diameter and, like, close to 48 feet in circumference, which, when you think about that, that's massive. And if it's surrounded by a whole other forest, it's nearly impossible to actually photograph it, you know? Whereas if you have, um, like, a little apple tree out in an orchard, then you're good to go. You can photograph the whole thing. So every tree is different. It's, um, and the lighting, everything. So I'm trying to approach it in the most meticulous manner, giving each tree the right amount of time, not just going there and like photographing them to photograph them, but actually spending time with it, especially just because I was talking with somebody the other day where if you have a tree that's 3000 years old and you're just going to go there photograph it and be out in 30 minutes. I think that's a little unfair. I feel, I, feel, I feel like you have to like, you have to pay respect to this thing. <laughs> you mentioned that you work with a few organizations. Is there sort of this underlying like environmental element that sort of surfaced and that you want to utilize photography as sort of a kind of a gateway into awareness for people around, you know, whether it's global warming or logging or whatnot. Yeah. So I think that's sort of the most interesting thing is like, You've taken something that I think a lot of people wouldn't think twice about when it comes to like a body of photographic work. And then, I mean, that's kind of why I drew interest to it in the first place was this is kind of bringing to light in a very beautiful way, both photography and these things, as you mentioned, that have a lot of legacy. You're, you're right. Just because I think a really easy comparison is um, like taxes and politics. You know, like if, if you give anyone a book to read about taxes or like if you like try to give them a book to like study law, they're going to be like overwhelmed and they're not going to get it. And it's same the same goes for the environment where unless you can somewhat experience it, you don't understand it. You maybe you don't have like a certain type of respect for it. And um, I think with photography that in video, I think both are ways of educating the general public on the importance of these issues through visuals where someone might have a stronger reaction rather than giving them like a pamphlet on like what's going on. So if you can kind of like use the education that these environmental um, agencies and nonprofits offer where like they want to do seminars, they want to do conservation things and mix that with really strong visuals I think that's when you can actually have like a winning combination. And has that materialized currently? Like, do you have sort of plans for the near future in terms of how you want to kind of bring those two worlds together, both the educational side and totally. the highly visual side? Actually, as of a week and a half ago, um, I sold my car and I bought a Ford Transit van and I'm going to build that out. And then I was just um, granted a donation that will keep me on the road for the next full year to photograph nice. all these champions. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, yes. That's awesome. So working with um, American Forest, I will be 
traveling around the U.S. for the next year, photographing and archiving. What What do you want people to get out of the work you're creating here? Like, do you have, you know, a particular goal in mind? Like if someone saw this, like, you know, maybe it's passing the message along. Maybe it's just a sense of like awareness or is it just really up for interpretation? Um, I think a little of everything. I think the biggest thing, though, is definitely preservation of these trees. Um, first and foremost, I want to be able to create an archive that represents our nation's largest species. But then also I want these to act as educational tools, you know, like progressing with the teachings of um, this really famous conservationist, Aldo Leopold, and his idea of land ethic, where land ethic is basically the, um, the respect between man and land. So it's educating people on the importance of nature and not just to think that we own nature, but we are just part of it. So it's, it's, I want, I want the images to be able to speak to that and, you know, travel around and like, who knows, like give lectures or do this and try to inspire people to care. Cause I mean, up until two years ago, I liked nature, but I was nowhere near where I am now as far as like understanding it and understanding how valuable it is and how, um, how threatened it is. Despite sort of the dystopian undertones that we currently live in, do you think there's actually more and more awareness like this upcoming generation of youth or whatever it may be are actually are very interested in knowing about the conservation elements or like how they can make, play a part? I think more more people are becoming aware. Again, I think it goes back to like that's probably one of the biggest advantages that we have with social media these days is people can actually see these places. Sometimes it's not great because people might go to these places and abuse them. But I think with proper education and like allowing people to like see these places, want to go visit them, but also understand how fragile they are and how when you go there, you have to respect the area that you're in. I mean, like I've gone to national parks and literally watched somebody in front of me just like throw trash and I'm blows my mind you know i have like a rough plan of how i want to do things but i think once i really hit the road and am fully like immersed within these like areas in the pacific northwest and everything and meeting more people that have similar passions towards all this as i do because there's definitely plenty of people like that and it's how do you bring it to the mainstream and i think you know a good way is doing stuff like what we're doing right now yeah no, I think this is really fascinating to find a way to leverage sort of creative mediums for sort of a, a more profound purpose. I don't think it ever yeah. has to like stop with just like environmental agencies or like it doesn't have to like be just like a Patagonia or a North Face kind of thing. It could be like any brand that makes a piece of clothing or whatever that could um, that could be used in the outdoors. It's like, let's work together with them to you know similar to like what patagonia is doing with like their sustainable like materials and clothing all that kind of stuff looking at everything you want to achieve in the next few years what do you think are some of the major challenges that you might come up against continual funding (laughs) um definitely definitely the funding i think again it's going to go back to education you know, I can go and I can keep photographing these trees, but unless I'm really hitting the right audience and exposing all this to the right people, 
it's just going to be a project that exists. And I think there's, there's too many projects that just exist. I think it, there needs to be more that have impact. For me, one of the best comparisons to what I'm trying to do is similar to uh, the work of photographer Edward Curtis, photographer from like early 1900s. And he was granted a loan or like, you know, funding from uh, JP Morgan himself. And he spent almost 30 years of his life photographing natives of North America. And today that archive kind of represents the last of trying to figure out how to like say it appropriately the last of that culture before we basically like push them off their land there was no more like wild spaces and so on and so on and he kind of was able to shine a light and even though some of his work is set and it's propped I think it still captures the essence of like what is now fully gone to some degree, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. I think the same could be said for trees where there is this sense of urgency where, I mean, talking with friends of mine that are foresters or cadres, there's multiple, multiple tree species that are threatened right now of extinction, invasive insects, invasive species of yeah. plants, climate change, urban sprawl, all these things are threatening these forests. So if we're able to like, at least even if we don't save them, but at least preserve them in a photographic state, I think is super important. Before you embarked on this project, did you sort of have an, an idea of what it would amount to? Or did you sort of like stumble into like this thing that was much larger than you had anticipated? Like what was the, what was the sort of the expectation before engaging in it and what has become the reality? Because obviously you're, you've sort of uprooted your whole life to pursue this now. I think one of the bigger reasons that I want to do this is that it gets larger than just myself, you know, like if I, if I keep creating the same still life work that I do in New York, it's just catering towards these companies and that's fine. But I just, after a while, as someone that makes something, you get, I don't want to say bored, but yeah, it just gets a little repetitive. Whereas like this the opportunity like I have no idea really I mean to give you an idea like this project is a 10-year project you know if 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 I started today I would might finish in 2028 because if there's the best the best way to put it is 10 years times 365 days 3650 days divided by the 795 champion trees which means if I start today, I have to find a tree every four and a half days for the next 10 years, which is insane. <laughs> what within you suggests that you'll have like, let's say the stamina or like the passion to do this? Like, what is it internally? That's kind of something that I find really fascinating is like, you kind of speak about it. Like, while it is a number, it is, you know, a few thousand days. It's like, it doesn't seem like it's insurmountable. Like you feel as though you could legitimately spend all this time doing it. Totally. I mean, anytime I'm out in nature, it's probably like my favorite time. So, I mean, if it's, if for the next 10 years I was able to be out there, 
I don't think I would be upset with that. Plus, it's also, um, I look at it as like some sort of challenge, you know, and I think within any field that anyone works in, no matter what it is, like you want to feel challenged. You don't want an easy job. And I think there was certain aspects of if I stayed in New York, I knew the path, I knew what I was going to do. Whereas if I buy a van and hopefully just get on the road and start photographing these trees, there's so many unpredictable variables that I have no idea what's going to happen. And that became more enticing than just staying on the path that I am now. Let's say someone comes across your work. What is the single best thing they can do to help contribute to the project and to the, the goal at hand? There's, there's a couple of ways. One is sharing it you know if they if they see a story or if they see what this talk that you and i are doing share it like let other people know about these this project that i'm working on um share the photos let people see what this is educate people on what a champion tree is um donate to american forests i mean they have they always have petitions to help save places and petitions only work if people actually sign them Donate money for conservation efforts to do reforestation. Um, if I'm traveling, let me sleep on your couch. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm in a major city and I need a couch to stay, holler. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Sounds man. Sounds good, man. Talk to you. So take care. Have a good one. Yeah.